United States Institute of Peace, along with Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124, now present their weekly podcast. Well, Secretary Blinken had to cut his trip short, but he got some stuff done. Let's find out what. Brian Harding, United States, United Institute of Peace senior expert for Southeast Asia, with me to discuss Blinken's trip last week to Indonesia and other locales. Brian, good morning. Good to be with you again. Thanks for coming back. So uh, what was the agenda for this trip? So first off, Asia is the priority for this administration, whether it's what gets the attention in Washington or not. And it's not just about competition with China. It's just a very straightforward recognition that this is the fastest growing part of the world. And if you're going to be engaged seriously in international affairs, then you need to be engaged in Asia. Mm. Um, Within Asia, um, China gets a lot of attention. So does India, Japan, Australia, our closest allies. But really, the the swing states of Asia are are in Southeast Asia. It's a collection of 10 countries, 650 million people, sitting just right in the, at the heart of the region, connecting the Pacific to the Indian Ocean. Indonesia is the real heavyweight there. Just a reminder to everyone out there, this is the fourth biggest country in the world, mm. 270 million people, trillion-dollar economy, largest Muslim-majority population in the world. And this was Secretary Blinken's first stop on his trip. Even though Southeast Asia is important, uh, it, it's been hard to get there this year, literally get there because of COVID. Vice President Harris and Secretary of Defense Austin uh, had good trips to Vietnam, Singapore, and the Philippines. Secretary Blinken was looking to visit the three other major partners in that region, Indonesia, Malaysia, and Thailand. Indonesia gave a big speech. It was the right place to give that speech, laying out the administration's policy for Asia, the Indo-Pacific, as they call it. Um, I think his message was uh, um, it had a lot of continuity from past U.S. administrations and laying out the case for the why the United States is a is a good partner and why betting on the United States is a, is a good bet. Mm. I wonder if it was persuasive. You know, there's a, there's a perennial uh, concern uh, in Southeast Asia. You know, they want the United States to be a key partner, but, you know, are we too far? Uh, do we too easily get trumped as a priority? Mm. Um, some of what he had to say was, uh, was welcome, you know, cooperation on health and climate and supply chains and new technology. But really, the administration is wondering, you know, are you going to stay engaged? And in particular, are you going to have an economic engagement uh, policy for the region? Trade politics here in the United States make this difficult. The administration is doing what they can, but it's true that their their hands are a bit tied here. Um, Brian, I know there was a lot of concern by U.S. officials when we had that coup in Myanmar that that was going to destabilize the region and create more headaches for the administration. What is the status of that? Nothing good's happening in Myanmar. Uh, we're over about nine months here since a, a coup deposed the democratic elected government. Uh, the economy is is in free fall. Increasingly large geographic areas inside of Myanmar are essentially ungoverned spaces or governed wow. by various ethnic armed organizations. Some of them are good actors. Some of them are bad actors. Some of them are, are essentially running small democratic microstates that are under siege and in desperate need of humanitarian assistance. Um, Others are essentially running small narco states uh, that are are pushing drugs, uh, people, traffic people uh, across the border into Thailand. It's really unfortunate that Secretary Blinken had to cut his visit short to uh, Southeast Asia. Um, uh, In a lot of ways, Thailand may have been the most important 
uh, stop he planned to make but was forced to turn around because of COVID. That was not the headline he was looking for. Uh, Thailand really has more to lose than any other Southeast Asian country from the instability inside of Myanmar. Wow. Mm. And they, hope, how- they, they share a 2,400-kilometer uh, border, mm-hmm. all sorts of bad stuff flowing across. Yeah. How are they managing? Um, you know, Thailand is watching this very, very closely. I mean, so I was in Thailand a couple of weeks ago, um, you know, just speaking from personal experience. And the, Thailand's really suffered from from uh, COVID more than almost any country in Southeast Asia in the sense that 20 percent of their economy is its hospitality. It's just gotten uh, slaughtered. Um, they, Thailand's just starting to reopen to the world. Uh, but meanwhile, you have uh, vaccination rates for COVID are basically zero along their border uh, in, in Myanmar. And people are starting to flood across. Disease is starting to flood, uh, flood across. Um, and this is something that Thai authorities are, are watching really closely, uh, very concerned about. And it's actually in a real area for potential U.S.-Thailand cooperation, humanitarian assistance, transnational crime vectors, um, uh, you know, coming across the border from these ungoverned spaces, uh, a porous border in Myanmar. So China's been making lots of investments in this region, and they do significant trade with this part of the world. Um, but it sounds to me like the people there are somewhat receptive to to the U.S. message, that, that it's not a given that they would throw in their lot with China. Yeah, so this is China's doorstep. Um, China is destined to be a major, major player uh, in Southeast Asia. Uh, and Southeast Asian countries in general want that. Uh, but they also have concerns about the nature of Chinese engagement. Uh, certainly the actions in the South China Sea or the actions internally against Uyghurs or in Hong Kong you know, raise legitimate concerns about what China as a major power uh, in their neighborhood might mean. So they want balance, which means that they want the United States to be as engaged as possible. They're also all, almost all developing countries that need trade and investment. So they want the United States engaged. But I think the most important thing to realize in, in Southeast Asia is that, well, the United States and China are, are the two major largest outside powers. Um, it's not just about us. Uh, uh, every country in the world, every major economy realizes that Southeast Asia is an important part of the world. Japan's deeply engaged, Europe, India, Australia. So it's not just a, a, a one-dimensional contest between the United States and China. Um, and, and if you look at, the, in a broad sense, some of our best friends, Japan, Australia, India, are, are uh, ramping up their engagement as well. So uh, you said he had to turn back because of COVID. Um, the pandemic must be must be brutal in these areas. You know, in a lot of ways, Southeast Asia has done better than almost any part of the world. I mean, they kept they, uh, they kept rates as, almost at zero in most of these countries for about mm-hmm. a year, and then the dam really broke. Uh, and because of the vaccination rates in most of the countries, uh, you know, had not hit a sufficient level. Um, um, you know, the, the, the pandemic was not over. Uh, so the, Southeast Asia still remains more closed to the global economy, including t- a crucial area of tourism than almost any other region of the world. They're just starting to open back up. I was saying, you know, Thailand uh, welcomed in about 100,000 tourists last, and, and other visitors last month. But for a country that expects about 40 million tourists, many of them from China, and Chinese, the, China is basically closed off, in or out, um, they're getting really hard hit here. Uh, so it's, uh, you know, they, they need uh, something to turn a little better. I think they're starting to get to the point of, you know, we need to live with COVID, but still lagging a bit on the vaccination rates because it's a matter of access. 
they're they're still hoping to, you know, they're they're struggling to get the volume that they need. Well, and wasn't wasn't this part of the world heavily reliant on the Chinese vaccine as well for uh, COVID, the Sinovac? They, they, you know, Southeast Asian countries um, absolutely were, were looking to get their hands on whatever they could. Uh, and initially, a lot of that was Sinovac. But, mm-hmm. I mean, it says everything that in Thailand, uh, health workers all got two Sinovac uh, jabs. And now they're getting boosted with uh, the U.S. mRNA vaccines. Well, there's been some very credible reporting that Omicron is like laughs in the face of Sinovac, that only Pfizer and Moderna in three doses are effective. So that would be quite devastating for those countries that that relied on the Chinese vaccine. That's absolutely right. Um, and I, I don't think it's lost on anybody. You know, that Pfizer is like a is, is a name brand in, in Southeast Asia at the moment. It's like the Gucci. You know, you want the Pfizer. <laughs> want the uh, Pfizer yeah. um, and uh, so we'll, we'll take that as a win for American soft power. But more importantly, um, uh, you know, the. People just need whatever they can get. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it turns out Sinovac is not as good as you can get, but but, but they just need more. Uh, you know, come Indonesia, 270 million people. Philippines, 100 million people. Vietnam, 100 million people. You just need a lot of doses. <laughs> Brian Harding, United States Institute of Peace, senior expert for Southeast Asia. Brian, thank you for joining me this morning. Pleasure. Thank Great you. Great to talk to you. Take care. This podcast has been brought to you by the United States Institute of Peace and Sirius XM's POTUS, Channel 124.